What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. So, we're at the last stage of the NBA playoffs, the finals. The Raptors and the Warriors both made it. So, I'm ready to have a fun conversation with Ibrahim and Tamim about this, man. What's up, Ibrahim? What's up, Tamim? How's it going, guys? What's up, man? How you doing? Excited for this uh, NBA finals. Yeah, man. So, Tamim, uh, were you really uh, studying for finals, bro, or were you heartbroken about the uh, Rockets loss last podcast? We missed you, dude. Damn, right when I come on, you guys are taking shots at me. <laughs> Got to, bro. After a loss like that. I had to I had to study for finals, but it was a tough series. Um just I think I really underrated the Warriors system in general and how efficient it is. They have uh they have stretches where they play bad and you you're switching perfectly on defense and you get you get out on their shooters and they don't get really get easy shots. And then all of a sudden, just one quarter, a couple of lapses, and they go on a nine-zero run, and it's over. So it's it's frustrating. I think um, I, I heard you guys talking about officiating in the previous episode. I think it was a huge, I mean, a huge impact in Game One. And I think if if Houston won that game, it would have been a different series with Kevin Durant be, uh, getting injured. That being said, I, I think the Warriors played better than the Rockets, um, especially the last two games um, when Rockets had it in the bag yeah i mean you know the rockets they really had uh, you know one thing actually I, I got into twitter argument with somebody about this too uh mm-hmm. there are actually a lot of people that are questioning the warriors or sorry not the warriors the rocket style of play and that is completely unfounded because personally i would i would put them up against any of the teams that made it past their round in the playoffs like any of the conference finalists i would say they can take them you know yeah, so uh, it's pretty unfair to hit, hate on the Rockets in any way because they're probably the best team that can challenge the Warriors, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think um, just statistically speaking, I think they're the only team the past couple of years that could beat this could, the current Warriors team, uh, just because of the, they're the only team that has the personnel to switch out and get out on the shooters, but they also have enough offensive firepower to, and they play you know an analytic style that gives them a chance at least, and I think that's why their record. So they're five and eight against the Rockets against the Warriors the past three years, and there's not another team in the NBA that has the same record. I think the the other Daryl Morey sent out a tweet. I think there uh, the rest of the NBA was five and thirty eight um, against the Warriors the past couple of years, and that's before the Blazers got swept. So you know it's not. I don't think it has to do with style. I think the style they play is um, it's it's the most efficient style, and it's the, it's the style that will give them a chance to beat the Warriors. At the end of the day, Warriors are just more talented as uh, currently. And I think uh, the Rockets just aren't ready. They need. I think they need to add more depth. And I think they need to add um, an additional dynamic scorer. I, I don't think Chris Paul, uh, at this stage of his career, can can handle that load. And I think the other thing, um, Clint Capella. I don't think he's. I don't think uh, he deserves to be mentioned um, in terms of giving the Rockets a big three. He's shown that. Uh, past couple years that the only thing he really does offensively is catch lobs and he's great in the pick and roll when when teams play traditional style pick and roll defense but when you're switching out and you're or you're trapping like the Warriors did he's not the type of player to catch on the short roll and make plays for his teammates he's not a dynamic post scorer yeah and I I actually want to pause you right there Tamman because I think the point you made about Clint Capella is kind of a point that you know Ibrahim can also give his two cents on this Um, Mm -hmm. but this is a point that in today's NBA you can kind of extrapolate to centers as a whole. Like it's a mercenary position. If you're paying a center big money, 
it's more than likely going to be a waste because there'll come a time where you just can't play a center or the center is not going to be able to play the kind of style you want them to play. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think you have to you have to limit his minutes or you have to do something. And if you're going to limit a star's minutes, why would you why would you pay him a certain amount? I think that's what we, we talked about earlier um, in the year about Kristaps Porzingis and the trade and why he was so he wasn't um, valued really high by the NBA trading market just because of he's he's slower than Clint Capella. He, he can give you something in the mid-range, but he just uh, defensively, he's a liability at times. And he's so just imagine um, Porzingis playing against the Warriors. Like, would you be able to play him even five minutes? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say you'd probably be able to play him more than five minutes, but I, I get your point that, uh, you know, when yeah. it gets down to crunch time, you got to take him out of the game. I think he's a worse perimeter defender than Ennis Cantor. And Ennis Cantor played 15 minutes a series. And that was something that they, that they had to realize. So. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it's sort of the end of an era for NBA centers. It's tough. Well, I don't think it's necessarily an end of an era. I just think, uh, think it's, it's evolving into a different kind yeah, of style of play. You know, where, I mean, we still have. There's still some back to basket traditional big man guys like Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns that can be dominant big men and score down low. Even Giannis primarily scored in the post, even though he's not a center. Um, it's just making sure that aside from your post scoring, you can do other things that allow your team's offense to be efficient. Um, where like only a handful of centers really have that. Right. And so kind of what Ronak was saying earlier, the center position as a whole, unless you're doing those specific things, uh, you're just not worth, um, you know, 15, $20 million. Yeah. And I think just to piggyback off of what you both said, I think it's, you have to be, so much better than um, the average center 15 years ago in order to get playing time. You need to be like the 99th percentile of centers in order to get where your post moves and everything else you're doing is so amazing that it makes up for your slow feet on defense. But um, so I think there's just a, there's a trade-off between teams looking for centers that will help them score in the post because those are um, now looked as inefficient shots and, what you're going to give up on defense. And I think that's why you're seeing centers starting to um, devalue, at least in terms of if you want to compete against the top teams like the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, I would compare centers in the NBA to um, to running backs in the NFL. I mean, because I'm a big like running backs don't matter kind of guy, and I'd say it's the same thing about centers because, like mm-hmm. you said, Tam, unless you're adding a shit ton of value above average, uh, as a center in the NBA, you're probably not worth a big contract. And it's the same thing with running backs. You're not worth a big contract unless you add a ton of value because yeah. uh, it's for different reasons in the NFL, such as injury, et cetera. But, it's, but centers are kind of the same thing in the, in the NBA in terms of like they're not worth the money unless you add a ton of value. And, yeah. and that kind of uh, segues to the next thing that I wanted to talk about, and that's the Bucks and Raptors series. And I think, in my opinion, a lot of that hinged on the whole like the whole thing where the the Raptors are just taking advantage of Brooke Lopez's defense. And yeah. that's another example of this whole thing where, you know, even though Brooke Lopez has paid $3 million, for some reason they uh, decided they had to keep him on the floor. I didn't think that was necessary. <laughs> but I, uh, I know Tamim has, like, another opinion on this. So you can go ahead, Tam. No, I think – so I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that the Brooke Lopez example in that series, the Raptors and Bucks series, I think – um, just our, our our prior discussion, I think that's like 
if we were to if you were to write a textbook on centers and their value offense versus like what they give up on defense, Brooke Lopez would be an example in that textbook just because of how clearly it was shown in that series. So I think for the Bucks in particular, they don't since they don't have dynamic scorers aside from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, I think their coaching staff just decided that they're going to play Lopez big minutes to give him something else because he's someone that can shoot from distance, but he's also a, a post scorer, like we mentioned. And he's also someone that can catch the ball in the short roll and make plays. So I think that's what they wanted out of him and they got it. He, he played a great game offensively. The, the, the trouble was um, defensively, Kawhi Leonard switching out onto him and he just couldn't seem to guard anyone on the perimeter. So I think he didn't have a great game rebounding. Um, he didn't have a great series rebounding. So I think that's the uh, that's the trouble with him. But I think, uh, and you know, in hindsight, I think it was the right decision to play in big minutes because I think it gives you the best chance to play. But there's a I think that there's a trade off as your as your team gets better and as you add more talent. So for example, um, you can't play the set your center as much if he's someone like Brook Lopez. I don't think Brook Lopez would get a lot of time if he was on the Rockets just because. They have a lot more dynamic scorers like Gordon and Chris Paul and Harden. But I think uh, since you're the Bucks and since you don't have other talent offensively that can uh, make their own shot, you need to play Brooke Lopez. So I think it's uh, it's not a, it's not like linear, if that makes sense. No, th- that's totally fair. I mean, you're, you're basically saying that Lopez's offensive value add was greater than what he was killing you with on the defensive end. Um, yeah, per, it's it's not it's not linear in the sense that if you if he was on a better team, his his impact that trade off wouldn't be the same. No, exactly, and that that totally mm-hmm. makes sense because you know if you look at a team that already has offensive scoring punch, they don't mm-hmm. need his offensive value, and then he's going to hurt them on defense. But yeah. um, I wanted to get Ebo's two cents on this as well. Ebo, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think I think I pretty much agree with what Tamim said in that, you know, he does add quite a bit offensively, especially because they don't have that second dynamic score. Um, but, you know, it's obvious that on the defense, uh, defensive end and rebounding, he can't really do much for you. But also, I think kind of one of the reasons why he was getting a lot of minutes is because um, the Raptors essentially took Miritich and even Ilyasova to some extent out of the game completely. And so, um, Buttonholzer had to do something to kind of keep someone out there to defend Marcus or Sergi Baca or Siakam even, um, besides just Giannis. And so Brooke Lopez is kind of the only guy left. And so, yeah, he's not doing a lot for you defensively. He is going to score for you on offense, which he did. He did really well. He had the second most points per game on the team. Um, but you're kind of, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place there where you have no one else to play. So you have to play Brooke Lopez. And even though he killed you on the defensive end, uh, you, you just got to live with it at that point, you know, if you're the Bucks. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would have preferred that he experimented more by just going small and seeing if he could just kind of trap, like, you know, whenever they go to Gasol in the post. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was kind of a rock and a hard place for the Bucks, to be honest. And I think yeah, I just don't the, know who they would. I just don't know if they have the, if the Bucks had the personnel to be able to deal with Gasol or even Siakam or not Siakam, even Ibaka, uh, in the post or Gasol kind of at the elbow. Like besides Giannis, who else is really gonna just physically body those guys up? You know? Yeah, I mean, that's um, the thing. No one really can. Um, I mean, the yeah. only thing you can do is just kind of send a double team and hope for the best like you know Ilyasova and Giannis could I think handle like a double team on him 
Yeah. Um, so. But I do think, like like you said, I, I would have liked to see Buttonholzer make more adjustments and kind of experiment, especially in game six. I mean, you're down 3-2. This is the end of your season. You have really nothing to lose. Um, but he didn't really adjust a lot in those four games <clears throat> that they lost. So I think that that was kind of a huge uh, – that that set them back a lot. That he wasn't willing to adjust. He wasn't willing to experiment. Even even if it hurts you for a quarter, you got to try something. You know, and it, it might yeah. work. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think it could have. I think it's the right. It was the right decision to play Brook Lopez a lot of minutes. I think there were stretches, in, especially in the fourth quarter, where he could have came out a little bit, and um, you know, put put someone in that gives you a better chance defensively. But I think uh, you know, overall, I think he was it was a good decision to play him. I just think that. Maybe maybe Budenholzer could have gave them different looks. Like Warnock said, they could have trapped a couple of times instead of having him switch out onto Yantis uh, onto uh, Kawhi. So I, I think uh, you know strategically, I think it was the they could have done different things. But I think in terms of just lineup, it was right. Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, I, the Raptors just beat them fair and square, like four games in a row. That's pretty surprising. Um, yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of like. The, the entire run in game six was literally Brooke Lopez either dropping back in a pick and roll and someone getting open off of that or Brooke Lopez getting switched on to Kawhi and Kawhi just roasting him. So it's just like, how many times can you see the same things happen before as a coach? You just say, all right, we'll try something yeah. different, just like hoping something else will happen, you know? Mm. Yeah, you got you to gotta make the adjustment at some point and you got to go away from what clearly hasn't worked. And I feel like the entire Bucks approach through the series was that it had worked really well for them through 82 games and 10 games in the playoffs. So they weren't going to stray away from that. Um, but you know, when you're down three, two and you're, you're about to get uh, knocked out of the playoffs, you got to try something new at that point. Yeah. And, and I hate to say it because I know I totally jumped off the Raptors bandwagon, but uh, one of the reasons that I picked the Raptors way back when, which obviously I no longer endorse that pick. I was completely wrong to jump off the Raptors. But um, one of the reasons I thought the Raptors would win in the first place was because um, the Bucks' inexperience. But I thought that wasn't really a factor after what they did to the Celtics. But it did come back, and it did uh, bite the Bucks. Is kind of their playoff inexperience. Um, yeah. Even though Budenholzer is like an experienced coach in the playoffs, it's kind of this team's first time kind of making it this deep in the playoffs. And it just requires, I think, a different strategy, which they didn't really have. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I think, yeah, there are instances in which their inexperience – uh, was exhibited i think just at the end of the game i think it was a uh, game uh game six that one of the someone on the on the uh, bucks was dribbling the ball and he just hit it off his shoe yeah it was brogdon i think yeah brogdon so oh, he's a, he, yeah that's yeah. an example of just a, a great player he's a great player in the regular season i think he's, he'll get a big contract in the off season but you know just for of experience and playing in those final couple of minutes there's uh there's only so much you could do in terms of strategy and and uh, putting the right guys on the floor. Your players need to make plays, and I think the Raptors had that advantage. Yeah, I mean, I think looking at the box scores, like three of the four Raptors wins were six-point wins. So these are close games. These are games that came down to the last two or three minutes, um, and it was a matter of the Raptors executing better than the Bucks in the last six minutes of the game. Uh, in game six, the Bucks were up by like 17 late in the third quarter, so Stuff like that, you know, I think that's just a clear display of inexperience versus experience where it's coming down to the wire and 
turnovers like that, Brogdon turnover, um, are, are we're gonna are what's gonna decide the outcome of the game. Yeah, I mean, in, in the Bucks defense, though, uh, Fred Van Vliet is basically single handedly responsible for the point differential in like two games of the series. Because that's fair, he went yeah. like eighty percent from three, I think, on like on I think eleven or twelve three pointers throughout the last two games of the series. So I mean, it just kind of goes to show playoffs are a small sample size too. So you know, regardless yeah. of like how how dominating the Raptors looked by winning four straight games, uh, don't forget the the Bucks are right there, and um, I think they have an important offseason coming up for sure because I don't think that Chris Middleton is worth the max contract. And I also hope they don't overpay Brooke Lopez because of what we just talked about with centers. And I think Middleton in the playoffs got exposed. Yeah, we, we talked about Middleton uh, privately. He's, so he's an example of what I mean when I say the Bucks don't have dynamic scores. He's a guy who run off of the numbers, but he was a guy, he's a guy who he's great off you know, catch and shoot. He's great off the dribble, um, attacking closeouts. But in the playoffs, you need a secondary scorer that can run, pick, and roll, and isolate. And Middleton just isn't that guy. Well, well, I, th- I think his um, pick and roll per possession numbers it was like zero point eight eight per points per possession. Yeah, and in the regular season it was point eight eight, and then in yeah. the postseason it was like point five four to something terrible. Yeah, so. and see, and that's a, that's just what happens in the playoffs. Is teams have the opportunity to game plan against you and. He's so he's not someone that's gonna pass the ball off the pick and roll. He's a guy that's gonna put his head down, dribble at the rim, and that's like you need a guy who can make plays and shoot mid range jumpers if that's what you need to do, but pass it out and and make plays for your teammates. They don't have a guy like they don't have a guy that can play defense and also do that on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, I think Malcolm Brogdon could do that for them. I think the fact that he got injured kind of hurts because his conditioning was probably off and they couldn't play him as many minutes as they liked. But uh, I don't know. I thought the the big factor of that, the whole pick and roll game, was Eric Bledsoe just kind of going completely cold. Um, if yep. they even got like average games from him, I think he would have been able to kind of fill that role that you're talking about, Tim. Yeah, but I don't think he's a dynamic scorer in the sense that he's not a shooter. All you need to do is go under the pick and roll. There's there's there are solutions to guarding him. Whereas when you look at a guy like Ante, like Giannis, there's no solution to guarding him. There's just there's there's ways you can guard him and make ways ways to make him less efficient, but there's not one solution that you could look at that'll just drop his points per possession by like 0.2. And you know that, that's what you need. That's what the Rockets have. That's what the Warriors have. They have multiple guys that you can switch. You can do different things to guard them, but at the end of the day, they'll still get their points. They don't have that guy, and I think uh, it'll be tough for them to get that guy just because they're you know they're Milwaukee. No one wants to go there. Yeah, that, that's totally fair. Um, I would agree with that assessment. But I would also apply that to the Raptors. Um, I think the Raptors kind of are guilty of the same thing other than Kawhi. It's just that Kawhi Leonard is a top three player in the NBA right now. So, you know, yep. I think uh, Kawhi is really on. He outplayed Giannis for sure. But, I mean, it just kind of shows he's on another level. And because he's just on another level, it's just even though the Raptors don't have that secondary guy that you're talking about, he can still get them by. I think they they have a couple. So they have uh, Lowry. He's a guy who he might not be at the prime of his career right now, but he's still a guy who there there's less solutions to guarding him than there are someone like Bledsoe. And uh, Marcus Saul, he's great as well. He still can give you good minutes. And they have guys. The thing like- with those guys though is that they're good like conventionally, but 
we saw in the playoffs that they're they're fairly inconsistent. You know, like yeah, Lowry and Gasol in the second round almost were no shows, and then they played better in the conference finals, especially Lowry. But you know, you have that up and down level of play from those guys. It's similar to the up and down level of play from Middleton. Even like he played or he shot a lot better in the second round against the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, um, and even Lowry, in the first put, round, up, Lowry put up zero against the Magic in the first game that they lost. Yeah, so but, I, but my point is that he's he's a guy who he'll he'll be inconsistent, and that's why they the Raptors aren't a championship team. They're not a team that's going to beat the Warriors. We'll get into that later. But I think uh, just having guys who can at least be dynamic for a game in a series that's the difference between winning and losing. So they they won in six games. Imagine if um, Lowry, Van Fleet, or Gasol had two bad games like Bledsoe and and, uh, and company did for the Bucks, they wouldn't have won that series no matter how great Kawhi played. So I think just having dynamic scorers in general on your roster gives you a chance to sneak away with like one or two wins in a series, and that's sometimes all, that's all you need. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? You're saying that because they showed up, the Bucks or the Raptors won, and because the Bucks guys didn't show up, the Bucks lost. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the guys you showed up for the Raptors are dynamic scorers. Well, historically speaking, Kawhi, uh, uh, Kyle Lowry is a more reliable dynamic scorer. Marcus Gasol is a more dynamic scorer, and we knew we knew that um, Van Fleet's going to be able to shoot it all game. So there, there's a uh, so I think that what you're saying makes sense. I just don't think it makes sense with the Raptors because we've seen historically that they have guys who have experience and guys who know how to get things done. Uh, I think it's a bit of like looking at it from a results-oriented point of view, but I, I guess we'll just beg to differ on that. Ibrahim, yeah, what do you think? And it could be hindsight bias, but I think it's uh, I think it's fair to say the Raptors have more. They just have more dynamic scores, and they sure these guys have inconsistent games. Like Kyle Lowry's probably one of the most inconsistent players in the playoffs. If you play like he did at his at his peak every game, he'd be considered uh, a perennial All Star. But he's not, and and I th- I just think that he's he'll give you enough in order to win a game in a series, and that's sometimes all you need. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's fair. fair. I think, sorry, Rona. No, um, go ahead, Ebo. You can you can uh, give your two cents. Yeah, I think that's fair to me. What you said about you know Kyle Lowry being definitely more of a dynamic player, and you know you have guys like Marcus All and Fred VanVleet who you know you've kind of seen through the past that they can give you a little bit more. But um, even with that being said, I don't think the difference between them as dynamic players versus who the Bucks have as dynamic players is that big of a difference. And and like Ronak said earlier, I think, honestly, it just came down to Kawhi being on another level entirely. I mean, there were so many times uh, late in these games that the Raptors won where the offense wasn't really doing much. It was just Kawhi. So even if you have, you know, a good stat line from Kyle Lowry and, um, you know, they, they play well in the first half or whatever, when, when push came to shove, it was really just Kawhi making plays on both ends of the floor and him being at that insanely high level is ultimately what made the difference in this series. So yeah. you're right in that the Raptors do have a little bit more, but I don't think it's, it's, um, it's, it's that much more where it was a severe disadvantage for the Bucks than it was for, uh, than it was an advantage for the Raptors. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so, so I, I think th- here's one thing we can all agree on. I think Kawhi is, a, he's more dynamic than Giannis, but he's also just a, a flat out better player. Oh, hundred percent. He's a better player. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. So, I mean, aspect, but there's also Lowry is more dynamic and he's more, he's better than Bledsoe. And I think Marcus. He's definitely Paul- better than Bledsoe, but 
in yeah, terms of the impact to the team, how much better is he for the Raptors than Middleton is for the Bucks? I think that's he, my question. I don't think he's that much better. He is well, better. I wouldn't, consider, I, wouldn't consider, I, I wouldn't consider Middleton a guy you can run a pick and roll with. That's a you wouldn't get a good shot. Yeah, that's or he's not a guy that you can isolate with. Middleton's a guy who he'll catch it off the dribble. He'll catch it off a catch and shoot, and he'll either shoot it or he'll make a good play off the dribble. He's he kind of reminds me of Trevor Ariza, but he's not a guy who who will you know put the ball on the floor and make plays for other people. Yeah, Lowry's definitely more dynamic than Middleton. Yeah, That's I mean the, the other thing about Middleton is he was guarding Kawhi all series. So against the Celtics, Middleton was getting almost twenty points a game, uh, and shooting almost fifty percent from three point range. And yeah, okay, the Celtics mm-hmm. aren't on the same level as these two teams, but people did pick them to win the East. I mean, you know, obviously they're wrong, like dead wrong. But at the same time, you know, Middleton was going off against the Celtics, and you can't underrate the factor of having to guard like Kawhi Leonard. As as a reason why a player isn't doing anything on offense, you know. Yeah, no, like, I agree with that. Like Lowry doesn't have to guard anyone that good. Like he had to but, guard Bledsoe. So, and... so he's he was point eight eight in uh in the uh, regular season on pick and rolls. Are you saying that he dropped to point zero five just because he was guarding Kawhi Leonard, or is that? No, I mean, I, I he just him and Lowry get buckets in different ways. Like, yeah, Lowry's a better guy at running the pick and roll and, and being like a floor general. I understand that, mm-hmm. but Middleton doesn't really fit that role for the Bucks. Like, he's a guy that you kind of throw him in the post against smaller people. You kind of put him in uh, situations where he's isolated on guys. Like, you kind of run him off off ball screens. Like, he gets his buckets in a different way than Lowry does. I'm not saying they yeah. get buckets in the same way, or that Middleton's better at getting buckets off pick and roll than Lowry. Are his post-up isolations, are they, do you think they're enough to, you know, put anyone over the edge? I mean, it, it just gives you a secondary scoring punch, bro. Like, the same yeah. way Lowry is giving the the Raptors, like, a, just enough, I think Middleton can give the Bucks just enough. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. like another another example here. I'll, I'll switch it a little bit just so we don't get bogged down at the same point, and I think we, we'll come to agreement with this. Uh, look at Norman Powell, bro. It was he someone that you see think of as a dynamic scorer because he went out for fifteen points like in multiple games and that's kind of the difference too, right? Yeah, it's well, just Powell guys stepping up. Powell is a pretty good pick and roll player, and he, no, he is. is. I'm not I saying he isn't. Just he, like Ronak said, it's it's guys stepping up on one side and guys not stepping up on the other side. I mean, Bledsoe played decently well throughout the season and then he just disappeared in the playoffs. Norman Powell and Fred Van Fleet both were not doing anything at all until games you know three or four of the western conference finals and then they started going off so my point is one side having guys step up in a huge huge way and making just enough plays to win the game versus the other side not doing that and so it's not like Ronick said a question of you know one player getting buckets and another player not getting the same bucket meaning that they're like necessarily way more impactful than the other it's just Hey, guys stepped up. You know, Norman Powell, Fred Van Fleet, they went off. Yeah. I, no, I agree with what you're saying. But I think what, I, what, what I'm trying to get at is um, Van Fleet, Gasol, these guys going off, I think that was easy, that was more um, – that was easier to forecast than guys on the Bucks going off, like Bledsoe going off, just because of what we've seen in the past. No, I mean, that's fair. I mean, clearly, I mean, you had the Raptors in the seven. So, I mean, you forecasted the series correctly. So, I'm not going to deny your process. I'm just saying that, like, well, I was off a game. I gave uh, I gave the Bucks a little too much credit. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, don't fair. forget you picked the Celtics to win the last series. So, 
Yeah, see, I, I would never believe in the Bucks, but yeah, exactly. So I mean, from that lens, I understand what you're saying, but I think if you're looking at it from the lens of how you're looking at the Celtics and the Bucks series, Tam, I think you actually have to give the Bucks a little bit of credit because they are a little bit better than you thought. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, they're 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 a good team. Um, I just don't think they're a championship team. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think they're a championship team. I don't, I don't know about either. Yeah, today. exactly. And I think we're both in agreement on that. Anyways, we spent a lot of time on this series. So uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts before we move on to the Warriors-Blazers? I think we did a great job of covering up pretty much all the the things that we were in disagreement about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was some great debates. I mean, I definitely learned a lot. Like, uh, me and Tamim, like, talked a lot about Chris Middleton in private as well. And it was pretty eye-opening to kind of see his playoff and regular season splits. And honestly, a lot of the splits are just kind of the same for most of the Bucks role players. Like, they really struggled in the playoffs, especially this series. So, anyways, um, oh, yeah, one more thing. Uh, Ibrahim, I know you have a lot of thoughts on the Raptors defense, man, so I wanted to give you a few uh-huh. seconds to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, you look at how the Bucks played in the first 10 games and then how they played in the last six games, and um, I think, Obviously, they have their problems offensively, you know, in terms of what we just talked about with Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe not not being able to play a certain way or whatever. But I think um, more so than that, a ton of credit has to be given to the Raptors and the way they play defense, uh, not just on, you know, Middleton and Bledsoe and George Hill and Brooke Lopez to some extent, but Giannis especially, man. Like, Giannis killed it the entire season for 90 games. And then he comes into this series and his performance is um, just way, way, way worse offensively than it has been. I mean, he scored 23 points a game. He was still able to get rebounds and he was still able to be a pretty good defender. But um, I just, I just got to tip my cap to the Raptors defense. I think they, on that end of the floor, made the difference in this series. And that was the biggest factor to me in the Raptors winning. Yeah, I mean, a huge adjustment also is making that wall and just saying, all right, somebody else beat us other than Giannis. And Giannis also was and, – and putting Kawhi on Giannis as well. Yeah, um, putting Kawhi on Giannis, exactly, which, again, just shows the level of a player that Kawhi is at, which um, we can get into as we continue on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, actually, it's funny. One of my friends literally texted me saying, do you think that Kawhi is a better player than Giannis? And I texted him back saying, yeah, of course. We knew that going into the series, like – Kawhi yeah. is a better player yeah. than Giannis. Um, I mean, obviously Giannis is younger, so that kind of plays a factor, and I think he could, you know, grow. But I mean, I think we knew, at least I, I thought so, that that Kawhi was a better player than Giannis going into the playoffs. I mean, going into the playoffs, yeah. I thought he was a better player. I mean, he's only proved that as they've gone on. Um, but yeah, I think that's to me that's a that's an easy pick that it's Kawhi. Yeah, it's Kawhi for me as well. One thing I wanted to say is I don't understand why the the Raptors, knowing what we know about the Raptors and how they don't have other dynamic options, why didn't the Raptors coaching staff put Kawhi Leonard on Giannis game one? Do you think that was a result of the Raptors playing in a seven-game series and the Bucks not doing that so they didn't have as much time to repair and look at things? Or do you think it was um, they just wanted to start off with uh, Siakam? I think they didn't want to tire out Kawhi. They knew that he was kind of their only um, reliable source of offense at the time. Uh, so they didn't want to tire him out, especially he started dealing with some injuries and stuff. So I think that was yeah. the motivation. I, I, and I think that as soon as they saw that it was an issue, they made the adjustment quickly, which you can't say about anything the Bucks did. Agreed. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that's my two cents on that. Uh, obviously, not having time to prepare could also be an issue, Tamim. Um, yeah, I, I think that was... So, I, you know, I, since I had the, the Raptors win the series and they dropped their first two, I was pretty upset with the Raptors coaching staff, actually, for not going with uh, Kawhi on Giannis earlier. So I was, uh, in the back of my head, I was just thinking, why aren't they doing this? I, I was pretty upset about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But man. hell of an yeah, adjustment, man. Hell of an adjustment yeah. by them. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's playoffs is a game of adjustments, and it's a seven-game series. Um, and speaking of uh, adjustments, uh, the Warriors didn't really have to make any to, for the Blazers. That was pretty easy. Do you guys have any thoughts on that series? Yeah, yeah I mean, Steph went mm-hmm. off. He played fantastic. Draymond played well. The role players played well, but it's nothing really surprising to me, the result of that series. Uh, Although, I- actually, there's one tidbit that I have um, that I found really interesting. Um, the Blazers and Warriors since 2016 have played 13 playoff games. Uh, the Warriors are 12 and one in those playoff games, but the Blazers have led at halftime in eight of those games. That's crazy. So that, I think that's really interesting that whether that's the Warriors playing really, really well in the third or fourth quarter or the Blazers, uh, having just enough to, you know, compete with the Warriors for 36 minutes or 40 minutes. And then not being able to close it out just kind of shows, uh, number one, how talented and, and, and good the Warriors are. And then number two, just kind of the difference between a championship level team and a really good team like the Blazers. Um, there's a really big difference there. And, you know, they can lead by double digits in several of these games at halftime. And it ends up resulting in a loss more times than not. Yeah, I mean, I uh, the Blazers' first half money line, man, that was like a pretty uh, value bet for a lot of people. Um, and, and, and it ended up working out uh, because of the stats you were talking about. But at the same time, yeah, exactly. The Blazers really can't close games against the Warriors, and I think it's a big talent difference issue. But, uh, Tamim, you had some thoughts as well. I wanted to hear that. Yeah, so I think, for I think one, it validates the the Rockets in this because just because, you know, they uh, – they showed at this series. So let's let's consider the the game that the Clippers won, where they're down by thirty one. Let's consider that anomaly. Let's. I think there's the Rockets are the only team that have played the Warriors consistently every single game throughout the playoffs. So they, they there wasn't a game in that, in that Rockets series where it was just you know the Warriors are so much better. There's no way the Rockets could have won. You've seen that so many times with the Clippers, and you've seen that with the Blazers. So I think it shows how close the Rockets are um, in comparison to other teams in the West, at least. And uh, I think it also shows that the, uh, the Kevin Durant is not um, as important to the Warriors as I thought they were, as I thought he was, at least against the average NBA team. Yeah, and, and that's, well, okay, fine. I agree with you against the average NBA team, but uh, yeah. as a general statement, that's completely untrue that Kevin Durant is... Yeah, no, 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 but I think he's an important, but he's important for like the 98th percentile of teams. He's important against the Rockets. He's important against, maybe he'll be important against the, the Raptors. But I think for the average team, the average playoff team, I don't think they would have needed him against the Nuggets either. Oh, yeah, of course they wouldn't have. I mean, because those teams like simply don't have the personnel to actually match up with the Warriors like mano y mano, even without mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, right? Mm-hmm. But now if you have a team like the Rockets or the Clippers who who run a game plan that you know fundamentally matches the Warriors man for man and says, look, you guys are going to have to beat us with your, uh, with isolation. You know, that's something that 
Thompson and Curry really aren't as good at as Kevin Durant is. And, and that's where Kevin Durant's kind of the Warriors' trump card and why a lot of people were upset with him joining the Warriors in the first place. Well, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my thoughts from this series are just simply, I think people are really overrating the Warriors <laughs> off this. Like, some people are saying, oh, Kevin Durant doesn't matter. Like, like it's like Steph Curry is the greatest of all time and stuff. Like, That's, not what I'm to say. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to say at all. I, I, don't, I don't agree with any of those two statements. Oh, I just no, think- I know you don't agree with them. I was saying, yeah. uh, just giving my thoughts, like some people are saying those, like mm-hmm. mainstream yeah. media. And- yeah, I know. Well, the mainstream media, they make their money off of uh, being reactionary to everything. Like Stephen A went on a hot take and talked about how they should fire D'Antoni. They should do everything. Change everything. Yeah, that was the whole, the whole those guys are the thing. They're they're trying to make money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, they're just making money off that. But I mean, my point is like, did yeah. anyone, anyone who like knows basketball, what did you expect against the Blazers? Like, of course they're gonna go off, man. Like, there's yeah. no Kevin Durant, so Curry's obviously the number one guy every time. The Blazers have no way to stop the Warriors, really, because their best pick-and-roll big man is out for the year. Um, and yeah. then on offense, like you're playing a team that's honestly kind of tired in the Blazers because Lillard and McCollum had to go like all the way in that Nuggets series. Yeah. So what yeah. did you guys expect? Do you expect the Warriors to struggle at all? Like No one did. You know, the funniest thing for me that series was that um, game one, the – the Blazers played the the weirdest pick and roll coverage or the weirdest screen <laughs> I've ever seen against the Warriors. Yeah. I, haven't see, I don't see teams do that in the regular season when they don't have time on back to backs. Yeah, and wow. the, the craziest thing is the Blazers actually like beat the Warriors by like thirty something points in their last meeting of the season, and they actually used like a lot of the same tactics the Rockets used. And then game one in the playoffs, they went hundred percent away from it. Yeah, I, don't I just don't know why. I don't know why they would do that, even on short preparation, like why they would go away from what they know has worked for them and it's proven to work for the previous two teams that they just faced Warriors did. And it was so like, I go away from that. And it was hilarious to me because I, I saw the post game press conference with Terry Stotts and a reporter asked him why he they played they decided to sag off of their bigs on the pick and roll coverage. And he he said that um the Rockets switched last game how did and he asked the reporter how, how Steph Curry did so he he's basically that it doesn't matter how you guard the Warriors, they'll still win. And to me, it was, I was just hilarious because it's not about winning or losing. It's about giving your team an opportunity to do that. Exactly. He, yeah. It was, uh, I I think, uh, to me, that just showed that the Blazers coaching staff, just they weren't, it's, it's not just about the players. They're just, as a staff and as a team, as an organization, they're not ready to be a championship level team. Yeah. You can't, I, I think it's game one that. for free. That's, that's pretty much, I think the, the Warriors on their worst night would have beaten the, the, the Blazers on that night. Yeah, I mean, one more thing. Hey, I picked them in four. You guys picked them in five. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised you guys went that way. And you, they were really well, close to getting that that win, man. They're really close. But oh, they yeah, were. They were, they were close. Close. They were close a couple times. Yeah, one of them went to overtime, right? Game three, I want to say, or something. Yeah, it was overtime. Yeah, I think it was game three. Yeah, I mean, or it might have even been game four. Yeah. Anyways, I want to have enough time for the finals, so we'll move off of the series. Um. Yeah. So, what are you guys' initial thoughts on the Raptors and Warriors? Uh, I mean, it's, it'll be tough. It'll be tough for the Raptors, in my opinion. Um, just going off of what we were saying earlier, how they have, how the Raptors do have some dynamic scoring. I think their dynamic scoring is going to have trouble against the Warriors. For one, I don't know how much you can play Marcus Saul. Um, the Warriors have shown that you can't really, uh, you can't really use traditional big man against them, and this because they're just too slow. You can't switch. You can't hedge. You can't 
there's a lot of things you can't do defensively. And so I think that takes one of their dynamic scores out. And then just the fact that Kyle Lowry is so inconsistent, that's not going to be enough for you to win against the Warriors. You need consistent play from all of your guys every single night. And you need guys who can defend one through five or one through four. And they don't have that. So I think it'll be tough. I think Kawhi will give them a chance. But at the the end of the day, it won't be a close series. Or it won't be a series that's, that's competitive every game. Yeah, it, um, I agree. With one or two, I think it'll be it, it. Just overall, it won't be competitive. So actually, I actually disagree with that. Um, especially when you say that they don't have, they can't guard one through five. I think they can actually guard one through five perfectly well with their starting lineup. Um, I think Lowry is a pretty good defender. Kawhi is obviously Kawhi. Gasol has proven to be a very competent defender in the last two series against good big men. Siakam is also pretty good. Ibaka is also really good. I think the defensive strategies that they showed in the last two series have obviously worked very well. Mm-hmm. And every time you're going against the Warriors, I mean, they're the Warriors, right? It's going to be a challenge no matter what. You're going to be the underdog no matter what. So it's going to be hard, and, and you're not going to be favored. But I think the the Raptors actually have the personnel to perfectly match up and challenge with the Warriors and make it really difficult on them, especially that they don't now that they don't have KD. Yeah. Um, I think they have guys in, you know, five or six positions or six or seven positions that can guard competently all of the Warriors top players in their respective positions. So I think defensively, actually, the Warriors are going to have a really big challenge. Um, not to say that they won't be in control of the series or they won't win, but I do think actually it will be competitive every game. Um, and, you know, maybe if one game it won't be, but um, I think it's going to be a really big challenge for the Warriors to actually get past this defense of the Raptors. Um, but I do agree with your point about um, the Raptors offensive players offensively not being consistent and that being a problem for them. Yeah, I, I think I agree with your t- with your overall take on the Raptors defense, but I, I just don't think um, just Marcus Saul coming out that'll affect the offense. But they have they have guys that can defend the Warriors and the, the Warriors. Uh, offensive actions they have guys like Ibaka even that can that can rebound but they can also switch out and guard the perimeter so I, I agree with your overall statement on that. yeah I mean I think I think what they've shown in the last couple of games is that they have eight guys who can be solid rotational players for them yeah uh, but- Danny Green hasn't done very well on on the offensive end but he's still an elite defender and they have Norman Powell and Fred Van Fleet who who've stepped it up a little bit in the last couple of games so they have seven or eight guys who who can go out there and play good defense. And most of them can give you pretty good offense. Um, and then you rely on Kawhi when you need to rely on Kawhi. So I think in general, that's a pretty good strategy that, that I think is going to work pretty well for the, uh, the Raptors actually against the Warriors. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they make it more interesting than, than most people expect it to be. Well, I think one thing's clear: um, the Bucks and the Celtics aren't the same team as the Warriors. So the the way you defend those two teams, it's completely different than defend the Warriors, and that's what the Warriors' competitive advantage. They make you they make you play their style of basketball. They make you defend them um, a certain way, and in a way that every other team has to defend them as well. And so they're used to the defensive coverages they get, and I think that's what makes them great. So I just don't think that um, so that they. they just because they defended the Bucks well, I don't think it'll necessarily translate just because it's they're a completely different team and they require different coverages. 
Yeah, so kind of my uh, opinion on this. So, Ebo, I understand your point about they've defended great teams already. Mm-hmm. But uh, my whole thing is like, yeah, like Tamim said, it's completely different defending them. I do think they have the personnel to defend the Warriors in an optimal way. Um, because they have an elite, they have elite defensive communication uh, throughout all their personnel. I think at times, if you want to go with no big, you can throw Siakam there and just go with a wild lineup. Uh, obviously, OG Ananobi coming back is kind of crucial to that. But I think you can always go with the lineup that has Lowry, uh, Van Vliet, Green. Uh, and then you'll have Siakam, and then they'll have to find someone else to go in that lineup. But uh, at the same time, it's they don't have the horses on offense to keep up with the Warriors because even if their defense does all the work against the Warriors and like you know holds the Warriors to 100 points, I'm not sure the Raptors can get to 100 against the Warriors consistently. Um, this is a team that has a lot of really good defenders. They play good team defense. And you know when it comes time for the playoffs, the Warriors are always locked in on defense. Uh, I think they can give the Raptors a ton of trouble. I think the Raptors don't even have the guys that can consistently score uh, and keep it close offensively against the Warriors. I think that's their biggest challenge. Yeah, that's fair. And I agree that that's their biggest challenge um, is, is going to be their performance on the offensive end. But I think we've seen that, you know, obviously it's a big if, but we've seen that if the Raptors players like Kyle Lowry, like Gasol, uh, even Ibaka in some games, when they do step up, Siakam as well, when they do step up and they do get clicking on offense, they can be a, they can be a pretty good team. So I'm not saying that the, the Warriors defense is going to struggle against them in any way. That is the Raptors' biggest challenge. But I think um, if you're the Raptors and that's your biggest challenge, I, I think that is going to work more in your favor than if you can't even defend the Warriors. You know what I mean? I'd rather be in the Raptors' position where they need to figure out ways to score rather than ways to stop the Warriors from yeah. scoring. Because if, if you can't stop Steph and Clay, then, then there's just no way you're going to win. But if you can slow them down and get them out of rhythm and get Draymond out of rhythm, I, I think... I think the the Raptors have the best player overall player in the series in Kawhi Leonard. Um, and anytime you have the best overall player in the series, that gives you an opportunity to win. And, and he can go off for 40, right? Like he can do that. And it may not be enough, but we've seen in the past with LeBron, if you have one guy who can do it all, it gives you a chance to win. And I think they'll give themselves a chance to win in this series. I get, I agree with Ibrahim's like the sort of like the overarching theme you're trying to get at, and it's just that you know focus on defense. And but you know what that means is you don't play Marcus Hall as much, so it'll have to be Kawhi Leonard making plays, making a bunch of you know great plays for seven games or six, six or seven games. I just don't see that happening consistently enough for it to be competitive. But I agree with your strategy. I think going uh, focusing on defense that's the most optimal way for the Raptors to for, or for anyone to try and compete with the Warriors. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's defense first. I couldn't agree with you guys more. Uh, but at the same time, it is like an NBA final series, right? And it is a seven-game series. So while going defense first can win you a few games like it won the Rockets, at the end of the day, you got to have the horses to keep up with the Warriors. And um, I'm assuming yeah. Kevin Durant won't come back, by the way. Um, I don't know if I said that already, but I'm assuming they're just yeah, going to no, keep him I, out. I also would make the same assumption. Yeah, I mean, he's already been ruled out for the first game. And then I, I, this calf strain, it looks pretty bad. Um so I don't know if it's, he's coming back. Yeah. yeah but anyways, maybe, maybe he comes back for a game or two, but yeah, I just don't see it happening. At yeah. that point, I wouldn't even see the point of doing that, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Um, anyways, we've covered it a lot from the Raptors' perspective. So what do you guys think about the Warriors' uh, perspective on this game? I, I still think there's a lot of issues. Or I'll, I guess I'll start, but I think there's a lot of issues, uh, first of all, like with their bench, right? Like, you know, their bench still is kind of weak. 
Um, they do have a lot of guys who can't shoot, so that does sort of, or can't consistently shoot at least, and that kind of does put strain on their top players to score a lot, um, especially with Kevin Durant out for the first game. I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, how Steph and Clay do, because, I mean, like, uh, like we've all said, the Raptors' defense is really good. So I think it'll be interesting to see, like, what kind of coverage the Raptors start with. Uh, you know, let's see if the same kind of Warriors pick and roll with Draymond and stuff works. Uh, my guess is that it will, honestly. But I think that's, like, the first challenge for the Warriors is seeing how, if they can get um, get Steph and Clay consistent good looks. Yeah, I, I, I agree with your take that their bench is pretty weak right now. Um, looking at their numbers against the Blazers, there were only four players who scored over 10 points a game. And one of them was Kevon Looney scoring exactly 10 points. So offensively, essentially, it's Steph, Clay, and Draymond uh, doing everything for the Warriors and then a little bit of help from everyone else. Um, but that's pretty minimal. Um, so, yeah, that's a challenge. Is, is Steph can be playing well. Clay can be playing well. But you, you got to kind of have other guys to help them out. Um, when they're not in the game or, or just in general with the rappers are playing an aggressive style of defense, just kind of going out for stuff, which is, as we've seen, what works against him. So I, I still think that's a problem for them. But with that being said, I think Draymond Green and Clay and Steph are good enough offensively to, uh, to make it work. I, I mean, I know you said that the Blazers isn't a great benchmark to be going off of, but um, I, I think they've shown it in the past for the last several years that these three guys can make it work um, and, and they can, they can move the ball on offense well enough and they can just run their offensive system uh, well enough to, to get Steph and clay the looks that they need. Um, Cause eventually they'll get them right. Like there's, there's never any game where Steph isn't getting looks either. They're not going down we haven't. Or, or, or they're not, or they're going down, you know, he's still getting his looks at the end of the day and even clay. Uh, so, ultimately i think they'll be they'll be the dominant team offensively and steph is going to have a good series Clay's going to have a good series but um the bench issues are a problem for them i don't think it's a huge problem though yeah tamam what about your uh take on the warriors yeah you know i think uh i think i think one thing i will say is if kevin durant misses multiple games it's a completely different series just because of what you was highlighting earlier about the Raptors defense, but I think even that said, even even that um, best case scenario for the Raptors, Kevin Durant missed a couple games. I think they the Warriors will still win the series, but I think uh, just having um, Kevin Durant out, the Raptors focusing all out on defense, it'll help them um, sneak away with a couple of wins. Yeah, totally. Um, I think also kind of underrated storyline is if Kawhi guards Steph, that would be pretty crazy to see. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I don't think that you should have your best defender guarding um, Curry or anyone in particular, just because uh, he's going to get a screen and you're going to have to switch anyways. That's you know they don't, they don't the Warriors are different in that they don't just uh, dribble the ball up with Stephen Curry and run a pick and roll. They they have him off the ball and they have him uh, setting screens for other people and you have to. It's not going to be the same defender guarding him. So I, I think one thing that you could the Raptors should look into is putting uh, Kawhi on Draymond Green. Yeah, I was just yeah, about to say that, that Tam. I totally uh, agree with get that. Get him on Steph. I mean, basically, what I was trying to say is get get Kawhi on Steph as much as possible, just so you can kind of you know have some success against him. Like Ebo was saying, Steph's always going to get his looks, 
But if Kawhi's there, you know, maybe you can slow that down a little bit. Yeah. And one thing you could do is just because of uh, one thing I was thinking about, just because of Kawhi's long arms and his long reach, you could have Kawhi on Steph Curry in the fourth quarter or in some moments in the game. Instead of trying to switch uh, on ball screens at the end of the game, you just you you hedge it and you think you think Curry's gonna pass the Draymond, but I think Kawhi can get into those passing lanes a couple of times and make a couple of steals because we've seen that Curry isn't the best ball handler and he's not the best um, at passing. He's a, he you know consistently um, per possession he's at the top of the NBA in terms of turnovers. So I think uh, that strategy could be effective and spurt. One thing, I, one thing I will say is the, during the regular season, the Raptors held the held the Warriors to 30% uh, three-point shooting. So they did a pretty good job in the regular season. Yeah, Raptors actually did incredible against the Warriors in the regular season. Um, yeah. I was actually talking to a, a friend of mine about, uh, like, I, I thought I think the Warriors are a shoe in to win the series. And he was saying, no, not so fast, man. I'm scared about some ways that – he's a Warriors fan. He was saying, I'm scared about some ways that they were, uh, you know, playing against the Warriors in the regular season. And that's actually – a good point. They have been playing really well against the Warriors, but playoffs, regular season, two kind of different different things. Yeah, it's completely different. The, the Rock, yeah. they had the lead in the regular season as well, and they lost. But but um, so the, the, the Raptors, I think they were. I was reading earlier, they averaged 122 points a game against the Warriors, so they were scoring and they were scoring in bunches. Yeah, I think a lot of that is the Warriors' regular season defense, though. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I just don't think that's going to replicate itself in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, that is a good nugget, man. Um, you know, with that, I think we've covered the uh, series pretty in-depth. Uh, how about we go to the predictions? So, uh, Ebo, what do you think, man? Raptors or Warriors in how many games? I'm going to go Warriors in six games. Okay. Oh, also, uh, really quick, updating our uh, standings and our pick So, uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, this based off of, is this based off of how many you get, right, in terms of who wins the series, or is it like just – being right on the exact number of games you win. Uh, well, uh, we'll get to that, Tam. But just one thing, right. really fast. So, um, right now the standings: Tam and Mirror guaranteed last place. Unfortunately, uh, you're five and seven. <laughs> uh, I'm one game behind Ebo. Um, and uh, yeah, I, nice. Ebo, you're eight and five, and I'm at a seven and or seven and six. Yeah. Nice. What about I'm predicting wins? Leading the pack. What's up, Tamma? What are you asking? What about predicting wins and losses? What, what's the record on that? Like predicting which teams win the series? Yeah, the series. series. Uh, well, I mean, you would... Uh, well, I mean, I'm not sure. Because I'm just doing based on the over-under, bro. Okay. Yeah, let me... But, I mean, I think if it was winning, losing the series, you'd probably be worse because um, you picked some that lost, like the Rockets, and you also picked the Celtics. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, no, nah, it is it is hard. I mean, a lot of them are crapshoots anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll agree with Ebo, Warriors and six. But actually, just just to make it more fun, Ebo, since we both have, uh, since I can tie you, I'll just say Warriors sure. and five. Uh, yeah, you got. I'll to. be yeah. extra confident with it. Uh, what about you, Tamman? What do you think? I got I got Raptors and six, but I think it's dependent Damn. on. Raptors, Raptors and six? six? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Warriors. Warriors tried April Fool's us, bro. Just yeah, a yeah. casual upset prediction. I was, I was trying to make sure you guys were awake. I got, I got, <laughs> I got Warriors and six, but I think it's dependent on if uh, if uh, Kevin Durant plays the first couple of games or not. 
So do you think if he's back, what, how do you think that changes the series? If he's what back, does that change your prediction? So I think even if he comes back, it'll be tough for the Warriors to integrate him back into the offense. So I think just doing that, you can't. It's hard to do that in the in the finals where things are moving so much faster and there's so much more preparation. And these teams are both incredible teams. So I think uh, it'll be tough, but I, I still see the Raptors winning in six. If he plays every game and he plays the way that Kevin Durant usually plays, I see um, – and he comes back. I think the, the Warriors will win four out of five games. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if Kevin Durant is does play some games, I, I do think that the Warriors will uh, – I, I don't know they'll impact the series. I don't think they'll – Make it past five, though. To be, or I don't think it'll be less than five. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a sweep. Yeah, how about that? Would be extremely surprising. Yeah, no, I don't think it'll be a sweep either. Ebo, what do you think with Kevin Durant? Would you lower it from six? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would. I think there's a higher chance that it ends in five, but I would still feel okay about my prediction at six games if Kevin Durant's back. Because I mean, he's he's guaranteed to only play. At most earliest, he's going to come back as game two, right? Um, and we don't know how he's going to be back with that injury and, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I don't think it would make a huge difference um, if he's back or not. But either way, I think the Warriors are going to win it. Yeah, sounds good. Anyways, guys, it's been a fantastic season of talking basketball with you guys. So just wanted to say you have my appreciation and gratitude for all the nights we've done podcasts together. But yeah, um, this is the last one before the off season, I think. So it's thank you guys so much for uh, coming on, and uh, until next time. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us and hosting these podcasts. Yep, yep. Take it easy, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night.